I took an oath. As a, as a knight of, of your king's guard. An oath of chastity. I've broken it. I, I've, I've soiled my, my, my white cloak. It is the only thing I have to my fucking name. I think it was all bangers all the time. All bangers all the time. Seven blessings to you, my sweet summer child, and welcome back to All Bangers, otherwise known as ABP. We cover all bangers all the time. You know what it is. This episode was absolutely a banger. Uh, best episode of the series thus far. I am your host, of course, Sir Vizzy of House Vizarion. And look, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right into today because we have a lot to talk about with this episode. And we're going to switch it up today, actually. I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going instead, uh, instead of going from start to finish, scene by scene, I think what I'm going to do today is just like a stream of consciousness and I'm going to touch on plot points, uh, character arcs so far and specific sequences because I mean, I could spend a whole 30 minutes on the wedding scene alone. That, that entire scene actually is like 25 minutes long. It's crazy. But instead of going in an in, in hour deep and just getting to the wedding, um, I'm, I think I'm, I might just hit that earlier. And just kind of just go with wherever my mind takes me here today. And, you know, we'll consider everyone's perspective on what they did right in this episode and what they did wrong in this episode. But without further ado, let's dive in. House of the Dragons, Season 1, Episode 5, titled We Light the Way, written by Shermaine DeGrati and directed by Claire Kilner again, back-to-back for Claire. Love it. She's a very strong director. She gets the visual language of this universe, which is great to see. Um, she never directed an, an episode of Game of Thrones. So, you know, you're always hesitant when you see these new directors come into uh, a world or a universe uh, that have never directed anything in that universe before. You're always kind of like on edge, like how they're going to do. But make no mistake about it, she is like probably the best director so far in the series. So I'm excited to see what she uh, she does in the future. I think she may have one episode left in the season or maybe she's wrapped for the season. And But I think they're definitely going to bring her back because this, this was a very important episode and you you want to have confidence in a director to actually bring that vision um, or bring what's on the page to, uh, to the screen. So, and I think she did that incredibly well. But uh, here's the description of the episode. Damon visits his wife in the Vale. Viserys and Rhaenyra broker deals with the Valerians and Alicent seeks the truth about the princess. So, uh, real quick, you know, the episode titled, uh, episode is titled, We Light the Way. Those are actually the Hightower words. Uh, I think it's a fitting episode title, uh, since I think, you know, this is Allison's episode. She stepped up this episode. She, she sees Otto off, right? He, he tells her, you know, hey, look, like, Rhaenyra will come for your children and put them to the sword. Stop being so naive. You're the queen and you have no allies right? You need allies. Who are your allies? You will have to choose between Rhaenyra or your children. And that gave me, that reminded me a lot of Cersei back in the original show. But uh, yeah, so the episode title is titled We Light the Way. I'm just going to call this the Green Wedding episode. Like in Thrones, we always refer to Reigns of Castamere as the Red Wedding. So I think the culture we'll end up referring to this one as the green wedding. We have the purple wedding also. You know, that's where Joffrey got exed uh, by the Queen of Thorns and Littlefinger, and they made it look like it was Tyrion. 
so yeah, so we have <laughs> at this point we have, you know, red wedding, purple wedding, green wedding. So it's on brand. But yeah, auto auto paints this picture when they're talking. Uh oh, in the rain, which is awesome to see. I I've never seen King's Landing in the rain before. I don't think they ever did that on the original show. So it's, it was really cool to see rain in King's Landing. Usually it's sunny and, and, and you know, it looks warm. But yeah, anyways, um, he's painting the picture that Rhaenyra is unhinged, uh, you know, especially as she grows older. If you think she's rebellious now, Allison, you know, just watch what will happen in, in 10 years, right? But this this might be the most important conversation in the entire episode because Allison, uh, she's all alone now. Right, she doesn't have the support of her father. Her father was dismissed, uh, and Otto shoved her into this game. Right, she she has to think for herself now. She has to fend for herself. Um, either she prepares young Aegon for the throne, and she does it fast, like within the next decade, which will be a tall task for any queen. Not only do you have to be a parent, but you ha also have to force. Uh, teachings and lessons onto a child before they can even think for themselves. So. I mean, with that being with with that in mind, I mean, imagine how sick and twisted Aegon could potentially become when he comes of age. Either she takes Aegon, suffocates him, essentially with hard prep, and positions him to see Rhaenyra as like this villain, as a threat, his stepsister as a threat, right? Basically, manipulates and twisted twists his perspective on his on his stepsister, or Rhaenyra marries Laenor. And overthrows Allison and all her children, all her potential heirs, um, and, and contests her rule, which is basically royal decree at this point. And this is basically the setup for the dance. And that scene with Otto and Allison is the most important scene in the episode, in my opinion, because we see what Allison does later on when she enters the wedding, letting everybody know, "Look, I'm still the queen." And you know, of course, with Sir Kristen, and you know, we'll get to that scene. But you know, Allison finally takes power for herself this episode. Um, She's going to keep Sir Kristen around as an ally. Remember, Otto was like, there's a war coming. You are the queen. You have no allies. You need allies. You need to protect Aegon and the rest of the children, or the rest of the Hightower children. Allison, like, basically, like, with the first and second draft picks of the National Westerosi League, she ends up basically drafting Sir Kristen and Lyra Strong over to her team this episode. Not in the traditional sense, but, you know, Sir Kristen slipped up and, you know, Allison figures, okay, I can use that. To, I can use that as leverage. You know, uh, Laris is basically giving himself over to her as like a potential informant when they have that scene in the, in the Godswood, right? So th this episode, we're starting to see how the actions of Rhaenyra, like in the previous four episodes, are starting to spiral into a divide in loyalty with her sworn protector, Sir Kristen, with her former bestie and the queen, Allison, and even with Lenor by the end of this episode, and you know, I have to, you have to think like Lenor, like off rip, uh, before they were even married. Like now, he ends up resenting her for what happened to Joffrey, and now as king consort, Lenor will probably want Sir Kristen's head because Sir, Sir Kristen comes in. Obviously, Sir Kristen murders. Let out murders John Joffrey Lawnmouth at the wedding, but he also decks Lainor. Like when Lainor comes in and shoves him off the top of uh of of Joffrey there, like Sir Kristen comes back and just fucking wails on him, just clocks him across the jaw. 
right? So he's going to come for Sir Kristen, you have to think. But now that Sir Kristen is basically under Allison's protection, she will make sure that like nothing happens to him because without him, she again, she really has no allies. And, you know, let's talk about how we got here, you know, with Allison and Sir Kristen, right? Sir Kristen, right? The people's champ. It's so funny because I have people in my DMs and on stories saying, you know, protect Sir Kristen at all costs. They did our boy dirty. And, you know, it's hard for me to react to those messages because, dude, Kristen isn't a good dude, man. Like, you're going to end up hating him by the time this is all over. But I think that's a testament to how the writers set him up. Like, Sir Kristen may descend into more of a villain than you may have anticipated. In fact, none of you probably anticipated he would slip and fall off this hard, this fast. But alas, you know, here we are. But, um, you know, so early on in the uh, on the early on in the episode, we see Sir Kristen approach Rhaenyra on the way home from Driftmark, and they're you know they're sailing back to King's Landing. And you know, vis- real quick, Viserys closed the deal with Lord Corlys to wed Rhaenyra in Laenor. And actually, one of my favorite shots of the episode was the one where you saw the nine skulls wearing their respective helmets, uh, basically symbolizing the nine voyages and nine kings that Corlys conquered when he was younger. I thought that was pretty badass. Um, but yeah, you know, they come to an agreement. Both sides are happy for now. Corliss and Rainey's have this great scene together. They, Those two actors, man, they ooze chemistry. I want to see more of them. And, you know, they they speak about Lenor and his tastes, his proclivities, right? And Rainey's is more accepting of it than Corliss is. You know, as usually is the case, you know, one parent is more accepting than the other when it comes to those type of situations. Um, but they both hope it won't interfere with his duty to Rhaenyra and his duty to the realm as king consort. But, you know, little do they know, Rhaenyra also knows this as well. He, she knows about Laenor's, you know, secret, I guess, or his proclivities. And, then, you know, I'm sure she hears gossip. She's like, I know you like men. Basically, she's like, I know, I know you like men. Here's what I propose. We do our duty. You give me children, we'll appear happy at court and on tour, but behind the scenes, we get to do our own thing. You can have Joffrey or whoever you please, and I can have whoever I please. Open relationship, right? Compromises. And at first, this looks like a healthy healthy compromise. Both Rhaenyra and Laenor, they get the best of both worlds, right? They both are the two most powerful people in the realm, two most powerful families in the realm, and they still have full autonomy on who they choose to love and be with at the end of the day. You know, it's like, look, we'll, we'll please our parents, we'll hold the realm intact, and we end up happy and contented as well. It's like a win-win, non-zero-sum game, non, non-zero-sum Game of Thrones, right? But back to Kristen, um, he approaches Rhaenyra on the ship, and, you know, my man's hit it once, and He's already proposing that they run away together across the narrow sea over to Essos and Essos, she can marry him and they can eat oranges and look up at the stars and Rhaenyra doesn't bite. Cole's proposal, it wasn't out of love. I, I, I got a DM saying his confession of love felt rushed, but this proposal wasn't for love. It was out of guilt. And I'll tell you why. It, it, it wasn't well-intentioned or self-aware even. Like he resents Rhaenyra. Don't get it twisted. She fucked his life up. You know, he's like, all I have to my fucking name is this white cloak. And now Sir Kristen feels, he feels like a coward. He, he, he thinks himself forever a coward. It's kind of like, like I said last episode, when Jamie, you know, he wants to be 
Sir Arthur Dane so bad, but he thinks himself uh, like a fuck up and a coward because he's fucking his sister. It's the same type of energy there. And, you know, Sir Kristen, he thinks, you know, since he can't restore that honor ever, once you, once you break that vow, you break that vow, break that vow for life. You can never restore your honor as a, as a Knight of the Kingsguard. Since he thinks that way, he's like, okay, I might as well live and flee as a coward with Rhaenyra on my arm. You know, they'll probably sing songs about us. Right. But this proposal, look, it was all ego because at the end of the day, Sir Kristen's pride, his, his pride is wounded. Right. But Rhaenyra doesn't bite. She, she said to Lainor on the beach that she believes this to be an excellent match. Right. So we see her maturing here with regards to her politics and her duty, something we haven't seen in the first four episodes. And she she tries to explain to Kristen why, and you know she she almost slips up and tells her uh, tells him Aegon's dream, right? But uh, you know before she can do that, Sir Kristen's like you know, you know, you want me to be your whore? Like he feels insulted, and is it's very self centered, and he isn't thinking clearly. He's not thinking about Rhaenyra's duty. He doesn't care about her. her her perspective at this point, right? All he cares about now is salvaging whatever life he thinks he could lead over in Essos and go live on the run, right? Change their names, become different people. I mean, when you when you really think about it, right? It's selfish. Like if you were standing across from your significant other and they were pitching you a life outside of the one that was made for you, the one that you've chosen for yourself, and they were so hell-bent on converting you to their way of thinking, it would drive you even further away from them, Right? Because you would feel that that selfishness from them. Same thing, same again, same energy here, right? But he storms off like a child. This is the moment in the story where Sir Kristen becomes a problem for Rhaenyra. And you know, we see what happens when Sir Kristen doesn't get what he wants. He doesn't want to, and you can I mean, you can't blame him for acting this way in a in a way again it's not black and white it's it's we're operating in the gray zone here he doesn't want to go back to being a lowborn with no name and no title right he doesn't want that but that's that's a real possibility for him now that he force forsook forsake forsaken his vows and working it out and you know we see what happens later on in the episode when when he's confronted about it and this is why i say he's pissed at Rhaenyra. He resents Rhaenyra now. And, you know, we see how that manifests at the wedding and after in the Godswood, right? Man thinks he has nothing to live for anymore. But, you know, Allison steps in, and I've seen people say Allison saved him. I didn't see it like that at all. If anything, Allison saved herself because not only will she use Sir Kristen as an ally and turn him into her sworn protector, she's going to use him against Rhaenyra. Why? Well, Sir Kristen confessed. She now has that knowledge. Knowledge is a weapon, right? So Sir Kristen will always be indebted to her now for not telling anybody what happened between him and Rhaenyra. The shit's chess. It ain't checkers. But speaking of that scene, let's talk about it. You know, after after Allison sees Otto off, she's all alone, right? She has no allies. She she has this conversation with Lara Strong uh, by the Weirwood and, you know, by the end of the episode, real quick, you know, just we see 
that werewood tree weeping blood from its eyes. It's very omen heavy, omen heavy, omen heavy here. Because whenever we see a werewood weep blood, it means the gods are not happy and trouble is coming. Trouble is on the horizon. But you know, it's 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 interesting because both the werewood and Viserys in this episode they both weep blood. So that's really cool symbolism there. But yeah, that conversation with Lyra Strong, that was the conversation that prompted her to meet with Sir Kristen. Even even he's like, you know, you don't have, you know, many allies at court. And she's like, I'm the queen. I have many allies. Oh, of course, you're great. Of course you do. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, Lyra Strong, I was totally right about that dude. Right. Like a few episodes ago, I was like, you know, he's 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 a smooth operator. He's very unassuming. Um, He, you know. You have to think he's probably going to be like her master whisperer. Whisperers. So yeah, uh, I love that actor is crushing it. Great job by that actor. Um, oh, another thing, real quick. You know, his father, Lionel, Lionel Strong, new hand of the king, right? Said back in episode three, he should be hand, not Otto. So love that for Lionel. One of my favorite characters. He's like one of the loyal ones, at least so far as we know so far. But yeah, that Lara's conversation influenced Alicent to meet with Sir Kristen because he, he basically spills the tea about the tea. Oh, the tea was brought to uh, the princess from the maesters, right? Um, and if anything, if anybody knew what happened that night with uh, with Damon, it would be Sir Kristen, right? He's posted right outside her door. Maybe he saw something. Maybe he heard something. And maybe he's keeping whatever lie to himself, right? Because Allison, Allison knows how Rhaenyra is. She's she's cunning. She can manipulate like the rest of them, right? Maybe she's like, you know, I wonder how a girl of 10 and 7 slipped by a knight of the king's yard, right? Or, you know, maybe she wants to try to uncover what, you know, actually happened. And maybe Kristen has the key to unlock that door of, uh, for, for that information. But <laughs> we see Kristen accidentally slips up and he rats on himself, Without ever realizing, Allison wasn't even accusing him of sleeping with Rhaenyra. He doesn't even realize. It shows how politically savvy Sir Kristen is. Of course, he wouldn't be right. He's just a—he's a former lowborn. But Allison, she again, she doesn't, she doesn't accuse him. She implies it was Damon. And I think Sir Kristen, this is my opinion. I think Sir Kristen just confesses out of ego. Again, this is after he realizes that. She'll never be with him. So he's like, fuck it. Like, she ruined my life. Now I'm going to cause some trouble for her. Even if it costs me my head. Death would be better than, you know, putting this white cloak on every morning knowing I'm not worthy of it. Death would be better than being Rhaenyra's whore instead of her number one. So instead of protecting Rhaenyra here, he's like, fuck it. Like, I'll put her in danger. I'm sure he doesn't think that way. I don't think he's just careless, right? I don't think it was like, with malicious intent i think he's just he's so careless at this point he's like fuck it like like what fuck my life you know what is life anymore he feels like he has nothing to lose but that was my read on the scene because we never get we never get that and in this moment sir Kristen realized he fucked up shot like we never got that shot so that tells me him confessing wasn't malicious but it was deliberate allison you know she's coming uh, coming. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, she's cunning. Right? Allison is cunning. And she's coming into her own. 
right? She knows that this information, it can be used. And information is a weapon. And you can use that weapon however you choose on whoever you choose. And she chooses in this moment to spare Sir Kristen here. She's thinking like Otto. She's playing the long game, right? She learned from the best. And, you know, this, this episode, we've heard twice now from Otto and from Laris that she has no allies. So Sir Kristen is up here in her chambers expecting to be punished. And Allison just lets him go. And now the play is, okay, Sir Kristen now owes Alicent. Sir Kristen learns how merciful Alicent can be, but in the moment he doesn't realize that her mercy is actually a move on the chessboard. It's ultimately a play for the throne to protect, to protect the throne for Aegon in House Hightower. This is the ambiguity of Alicent. Right? She, she wants to name an ally for her own, right? One who's easy to control now that she has this sort of like trump card on, trump card on her or on, on, um, Sir Kristen, right? But, okay, let's talk, let's talk Damon real quick, uh, before we get into the wedding. So we open the episode with the Lady of Runestone, um, Lady Rhea Royce, okay? She's on a hunt, um, she comes back to find Damon waiting for her on the road back to the castle at Runestone. And, you know, one would presume that Damon went there to murder her and acquire her inheritance to expand his holdings for a potential conquest, right? Runestone is just east of the Erie. Uh, it's on the coast of the Vale. And the Vale is this really formidable um location in Westeros with its mountain passes. So it's, it's, it's another, another area of land that is pretty much impenetrable. So strategically, you know, all this, although this is fucked up that Damon comes back and murders his wife, this is a smart play by Damon. And in the books, it's, it's said that Ray Royce fell from her horse and crushed her skull. So, you know, it's, it's hard to think that, you know, falling from your horse can, crush your skull i mean there had to be like a perfectly lame placed rock somewhere to actually crush your skull in but it was always implied in the books even that damon murdered his wife and you know since they don't have children uh everything she owns now of course passes to him and he said as much you know i'm gonna fly up to dragonstone and, and petition but um petition for for that inheritance but, you know, Damon fakes her out here by looking up to the cliff, like classic Damon, right? Like tricking her into thinking that there were archers behind her or maybe even Caraxes. <laughs> so, you know, just a class and classic Damon fake out. And, um, you know, she knew what was up, right? He had his hood up. It was obvious. He, he came to, to handle shit. But she went out like a boss bitch, though, right? Like... Yeah, the scene was fucked up. It reminded me of OG Thrones, and that's always a good thing, actually, you know, uh, from a storytelling narrative standpoint. We love seeing fucked up shit happen in this world. But uh, Damon grabs a stone, and this is where we probably hear a tale, uh, hear of the tale in the books where she crushed her skull, right? Damon staged the fall, bashed her head in, right? And, you know, staged it as an accident. And, you know, at the, at the wedding, Ray's cousin, 
um, comes up, and I think his name's Sir Gerald, Sir Gerald Royce. Uh, he comes up to the dais and calls Damon out and basically accuses him of murdering Rhea. Damon's like, oh, really? And who And who might you be? Oh, yes, apologies. When I head back to Runestone on my dragon, I'll make short, of work of you, short work of you, right? Count your days. But I thought this was a really powerful way to open the episode, pour one out for the bronze bitch, right? Not as ugly as they were making her out to be. In fact, I thought she was you know, beautiful, like deep brown eyes, flowing kind of curly brown hair, right? Not as ugly as they, as they were <laughs> like, like talking her up to be in the earlier episodes. It reminded me of, uh, Edmure Tully when he was set to wed, uh, Walder Frey's daughter and he ends up giving her and Walder Frey ends up giving Walder like the hottest daughter he had. And we, at that point, we never saw her on screen until she, she's revealed to him at the wedding and he's like so happy, <laughs> So overcome with joy that she's not fucking ugly. <laughs> that that gave me that type of energy, that type of vibes. And you know what? You know what's also interesting is it cuts from Damon holding the rock to a fish head, be like being mashed in. And this also reminded me of that fucking gross transition in Thrones when Sam was cutting into Jorah's grayscale and it was like oozing out pus. And then it cut to this Lord like scooping up a spoonful of gravy from a pie, just fucking nasty. Like this, this wasn't as gross, but that's that's what that transition reminded me of. You always love a good transition in Thrones like that, even if it is, you know, you appreciate it at least, even if it is fucking nasty. Um, it's worthy of like being remembering, even though you don't want to remember it. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the wedding, okay? So George R. R. Martin wrote this story to put people in a pressure cooker, to put them in a conflicted situation. And to make them feel tense and like it's it's hard to breathe. And that's what you felt during this wedding scene. I thought it was executed brilliantly. So the last 25 minutes of this episode was the wedding. Viserys gives a speech and midway through he's interrupted by Alicent who you know, you know she had to have planned this entrance to perfection, like right before Viserys was about to mention the joining of House Targaryen and House Valerian for the next hundred years. Yeah, she comes in like, yeah, y'all forgot about me, but look at this dress. This is your true queen queen right here, right? She makes her way up the dais and calls Rhaenyra her stepdaughter. <laughs> Just obvious shade. Rhaenyra's like, wait, what? Rhaenyra's probably thinking, oh shit, she knows something now. Right? And Allison, she's fully fully invested in the game. This is Allison taking control of her situation, right? Otto's gone. He was dismissed on the basis of a lie. And she knows the truth now. So now she resents Rhaenyra. Right? There's a lot of hate there, even if she is conflicted. Even if she, you know, she still does have feelings for Rhaenyra. She still loves Rhaenyra. Her father was dismissed because of a lie. But uh, when when Allison she enters the throne room, I love how this was shot. Like the camera angle was like looking up at her, like a high tower, an old town. If you were in old town, you'd be looking up at the high tower, right? It's how the how it was framed is really nice. And Laris tells Harwin, you know, the beacon of the high tower shines green in old town, right? Love the green dress, obvious symbolism there. And you know we're setting the stage for the greens versus the blacks. And, you know, even before Allison walks in, 
uh, Damon enters. And, you know, as Damon does, and he, <laughs> with a little smirk, right? He sits at the end of the table. Viserys can't do anything. He's not going to do anything in public, right? But, you know, we get our first dance between um, Laenor and Rhaenyra here, about to have everything they could ever want. Happy, contented, ready for their future. Joffrey Wanmouth and Kristen, Sir Kristen look on, and Joffrey clocks Sir Kristen looking at Rhaenyra with jealousy, maybe a hint of rage. Lady Alicent, she comes down from the day as she greets her uncle, and he tells her that Old Town stands with her. And we get Sir Gerald Royce approaching Damon. Says men are men are made to answer for their crimes in the Vale. Damon, you know, mocks former wife's death uh, and says, "I'm glad you came, Sir Gerald, because you know I wanted to talk to you about my inheritance of Runestone. We'll have a conversation here in King's Landing. You won't be hurt, on my honor, on my word." I will allow you to return to Runestone. In a fortnight, I will fly back to Runestone to petition my claim. And, you know, you better watch your six. Until then. Love Damon here. Again, like, Damon doesn't have a lot of lines in, in every episode. He might have maybe, like, a minute and a half worth of dialogue every episode, but every line that is written for Damon Targaryen crushes. It's iconic. But we get Rhaenyra. Uh, dancing with Laenor and Harwin, you know, back and forth on the dance, um, on the dance floor, or I should just say on the throne room floor. Lena looks over to Damon, and Damon meets her on the floor for a dance, and, you know, they talk a little matrimony, flirtation, right? We'll see how that unfolds. But I love the camera movements in this entire sequence. The camera was always flowing and, like, moving with the dance, so I thought that was a real nice touch. We get our little man here, like, beating the drums. Mushroom shout-out has to be Mushroom. We've talked about Mushroom a bunch of times in previous episodes. Um, I believe this is him. But Joffrey Wanmouth, uh, the Knight of Kisses, he comes over. He introduces himself to Sir Kristen, says, you know, Laenor is, is dear to him. And I know the, and he, and he knows the princess is, is dear to, to Sir Kristen in that, you know, they should swear to guard them and keep their secrets. So, you know, they're all safe, right? Cops a feel, walks away. Then we get Damon. He grabs Rhaenyra, asks her if, you know, if is this what you truly want? Right? Damon's a bachelor now. And he's like, you know, Laenor's a good man. He's a fine knight, but he's going to bore you. And I think you know that. She's like, I thought you told me marriages are for political arrangements only. She's like, if you're not married anymore, take me as your wife, right? Take me back to Dragonstone. The hours are passing, uncle. I dare you. I dare you to cut through the king's guard and, and earn me right? You got to earn this. <laughs> Basically, she's saying, she's saying to him, heavy flirts, heavy flirts. Damon grabs her by the neck and we don't see what happens. Uh, but this is what I think happened. Okay. This is, yeah, this is what I think happened. I think Joffrey Lawnmouth saw Damon grab and kiss Rhaenyra. You know, Damon did that shit on purpose. Rhaenyra's challenging him like, like that made him all hot and bothered, right? So he kisses her or at least goes in to attempt to kiss her. We never full out see him kiss her, but one can assume the way he grabs her neck and looks down at her lips that he was going to kiss her, knowing somebody would step in for Lainor, right, to defend Lainor. Of course, it was going to be Joffrey, right, defending his boo. Don't step in and kiss my lover's wife, right? So Sir Kristen sees Joffrey. This is what I think. Sir Kristen sees Joffrey step to Damon, knowing full on Joffrey basically just kind of threatened him in a way, to keep hush-hush about the affair. But knowing he already told Allison, 
and not knowing what she was going to do with that information, he probably assumed his life was basically over at that point. And he jumps in to beat the shit out of him, out of Joffrey, because, you know, what the fuck is the point anymore? And then we see, we see, we get a quick shot of Maester Melos at the top of the day. It's just dipping out. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. They might be onto me. Damon's nowhere to be found. Like, this is the second time Damon's abandoned Rhaenyra in a dangerous situation that he put her in. Pretty cowardly of Damon. Kind of shows he's really only out for himself. But is calling for Lainor, so obviously it wasn't Lainor who came in and started all of this and stepped to Damon. He has an understanding with Rhaenyra. Nobody is protecting the princess at this point. Allison watches over, or Allison watches on as Viserys comes down from the dais, and like Lainor shoves Sir Criston off of jo- Joffrey. He comes in, fucking pushes him um, off of the top of Joffrey. So this confirms that it was Joffrey who initiated the fight, at least in my opinion, because you know Criston gets up, he fucking decks Lainor, and ju- just goes ballistic on Joffrey. Like if you pause it, it's interesting because if you pause at one point, it looks like a strong. And a Lannister grab Lainor and like throw him over the table from the fight, which I thought was, you know, I thought that was interesting. I thought it was a strong. I know it's definitely got to be a Lannister because Lannister was wearing red, but I don't know if it was truly a strong or it could have been a high tower. I don't think it was a high tower though because I didn't see green. I thought I saw more of a blue, like a strong blue on his garments. But uh, either way, strong Lannister, they've both sworn oaths to the Targaryens, to Viserys and Rhaenyra. So it, it would make, make sense that a Lannister and a Strong would pull Laenor off of a Knight of the Kingsguard, which is, of course, sworn to defend and protect the Targaryens. So that makes sense to me, I think. Um, but, you know, we get Sir Criston with absolutely no form whatsoever, pure rage, throwing his fists screaming at Joffrey Lawnmouth, crushing his face in, love the gore, right? He finishes, he's like, you know, Joffrey's fucking, his face is pulverized. Sir Criston walks out. Viserys, now weak, spitting up blood, you know, falls to his knees. Gotta think the maester slips something into his cup. Lanor looks over to his former lover, lying dead on the floor, and instead of seven days of tournaments, nah, we get a shotgun wedding. We're getting married right now before anything else happens with blood still on the floor, rotting food still on the tables, rats drinking the blood. Right? Nice, nice maester symbolism there. Lainor sobbing through his vows. Rhaenyra's hair is a mess. She knows her marriage is going to be a fucking nightmare now because Lainor, Lainor will never forgive her for what happened. In fact, she might have just lost her freedom to explore and do as she pleases because Lainor lost his part of the compromise. We cross-cut from them getting married to Sir Kristen about to off himself here, but not before Alicent calls out his name because without Sir Kristen, who will defend her and her children from what's about to come? So, of course, she has that leverage on him, right? She could have, she could easily have Sir Kristen murdered, especially for what just took place in that throne room. But yeah, you gotta think you gotta think at that point, you know, Kristen is on edge. He's got he's on edge. He he doesn't know if somebody would come up from behind him and slice his throat. So living in that fear wouldn't be worth it to him. Right? He also doesn't know, you know, 
he, he didn't know Allison was going to keep it to herself and use it against him. But as long as he stays faithful to her now, he won't be harmed. And I genuinely think that Allison might have feelings for Sir Kristen, or at least be jealous of Rhaenyra with Sir Kristen. Very complex. But as book readers, you know, we knew this moment was coming from the books, and, you know, we didn't know how it would be played out. And I think they did a really great job at setting the stage for the dance with a literal dance and the murder of Joffrey Wanmouth by Sir Kristen. But tonight we saw the war start, right? Seeds of war are often planted during times of peace. And what's more peaceful than a wedding of two noble houses where the rest of Westeros, all their, all, all the other houses who have their own, own designs, their own plans, their own schemes, gossip, they attend that wedding. Right? So the dance at the wedding was foreshadowing of the dance to come between the blacks and the greens. And I think by the end of the season, the dance will be in motion. And season two will probably start with the beginning of the dance. But I thought this episode was brilliant because, you know, you know, I mean, one could say it started slow, but that's the beauty of Thrones. Like, they'll use the first half of the episode to establish plot, to progress character arcs forward, and they'll use the second half of the episode to light the fire, right? And usually the halfway point is like the ignition, right? Think of the first half of the episode as like Kinwin, and usually halfway through they light the match and toss it on the Kinwin and everything goes up in flames. And a big shout out to Millie Alcock and Emily Carey. They came, they saw, they conquered. We'll absolutely see more of them in the future with whatever they choose to do. They are going to get, their their agent's phones are probably ringing off the hook, right? This is just the start of their careers. It's funny, I was I was following both of them when they both had like 18,000 followers pre-episode one. Now Millie has like over 800,000 followers. Emily has like 400,000 followers. Fabian Frankel, I followed him when he had like 8,000 followers. Now he's over 100,000. And it just goes to show, man, you land the right role and you're actually amazing in that role. Dude, like your life changes overnight. But yeah, gonna miss gonna miss the girls, gonna miss Millie and Emily. But I'm excited for Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook, both phenomenal actors. So I'm excited to see how they step in and and how they handle everything uh, moving forward. And you know, we're gonna be we're going to not in a, not in a bad way. I don't want to say this in a bad way, but we're going to be stuck with them for the rest of the show. So um, I'm sure they I'm sure they're gonna crush. But episode five in the can. Halfway point for season one. What a season so far. We are being just blessed. We are eating good. House of the Dragon fans, Game of Thrones fans, George R. R. Martin fans, we are eating good. Um, yeah, I mean, that's going to do it for me. You know, I'll be back next week with House of the Dragon episode six, 10-year time jump, older Rhaenyra, older Allison. exciting times. Hey, if you made it this far, drop a five-star rating on Spotify or rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you listen to the show over there. Of course, follow me on Instagram at Visualize Cinema for the sauce. Yes, chef. Heard chef. Thank you, chef. Bye-bye.